If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Boomers Today with your host, Frank Sampson. Well, welcome to Boomers Today. I'm your host, Frank Sampson. Of course, each week we bring you very important and useful information on issues facing baby boomers, their parents, and other loved ones. We have another great show for you this week. And uh, uh, I just, but I, I have to really thank all of you for all your support. Our listeners are growing each and every day. We kind of grow organically. And it's because you're sending our show or particular uh, shows to friends and family, and uh, that's how the list is growing. Uh, and I want to thank you. Many of you listen to our show on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many of you go right to our website at boomerstodayradio.com. So I want to thank you for that. And I know why you, you're listening, because we have great guests, and I'm not going to disappoint you today. We have a, another great guest with us. We have with us I, well, I should have asked you, Lauren, I don't want to botch your last name, but Lauren Sned, Snedeker, right? Snedeker? That's right. All right. You I got it. it. All right. <laughs> Who is a licensed clinical social worker, an assistant professor of teaching, and the coordinator for the MSW Certificate in Aging and Health Program at Rutgers School of Social Work. Her areas of practice and scholarly interests focus on the aging experience, mental health during older adulthood and caring experiences. Educating students about the rich clinical opportunities that exist in gerontological social work, mentorship, and building community for MSW students are Lauren's passions. Along with esteemed colleagues, Lauren is leading efforts at Rutgers New Brunswick that focus on anti-ageism and age inclusivity. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on Boomers today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I think it's just such an important subject matter and what you're doing and, and uh, what you're studying and what you're teaching. And I, I was actually, when I got your information, I looked and, you know, I usually see somebody, um, let, let's just call it maybe a little older, all right, in, <laughs> in this field. So, what I like to just start with is just asking you, which I think is fantastic that you're in the field. We, we need people like yourself educating our, our students and, and, and community as a whole. But how did you decide to get into this area of work? And, and you know, you, I'll, I'll just say it, you're younger, okay, than most yeah. people I deal with in the, in the senior arena. Uh, so talk to us about that. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, well, I guess it started when I worked um, my first job out of college. I actually worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Oh, wow. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity for me um, coming right out of Rutgers undergrad, uh, majoring in public health. And I knew I wanted to help people and I knew I wanted to work in healthcare. And that's all I knew at, at 22. Um, 
got my first job at Memorial Sloan Kettering and worked with some amazing oncologists there, one of which, um, Dr. William Tu, uh, he focused on working with older women with um, women cancers. And that is where I sort of really fell in love in supporting people with this very um, intense experience at a time in their life where things were different, resources were different, relationships were different. And um, from there, I uh, applied to social work school, went into NYU, Silver School of Social Work, and got my first internship at a senior center right in Midtown Manhattan. And that is where I continued my passion and interest. And I learned from such amazing members of that senior center about what it's like to grow older and how many things that we think about aging and growing older are not as it seems, so to speak. And um, from there, I, I went into nursing home care, which was very different, um, but also where my passion and love for working with older adults in clinical social work practice continued to, to grow. Yeah. And um, I grew up in nursing homes, I'd like to say, you know, professionally, and I just kept going, kept going and, and saw a need and was very excited about working um, with folks with such interesting, complex lives. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. So, you know, we're using the term ageism, and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, on, on our call today. Um, but we're also, I don't want to make the assumption that our listeners know what we're talking about. You know, it's an ism. You know, you, 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 I live it every day in the industry I'm in. It, it happens and you're, you're, you're teaching it and studying it. Um, what is it? What, what does ageism mean exactly? Sure. Um, well, you know, this term was coined, um, you know, many years ago by Dr. Robert Butler. And really its uh, original form is focusing on prejudice against older adults. But I think that many researchers and colleagues um, and practitioners have really expanded upon this definition and have really included more um, understanding about ageism, such as benevolent versus hostile ageism. Hostile ageism is sort of as we understand, just very up in your face, offensive, but benevolent ageism can also occur where it's well-intentioned, but um, you know, an action that is ageist, right? Like maybe being overly encouraging an older person to take a seat on the bus rather, you know, than respect that they politely uh, declined the offer. Um, and so the other thing about ageism as well is recognizing how it's not just something that older people, older adults experience. It's also something that any aged person can experience. And I know that from my students as well and thinking about, you know, how millennials and other generational cohorts are, are looked at and what kind of biases and stereotypes exist. Yeah. So how do you feel ageism impacts the field that, you know, you're, you're in uh, or have been in with social work? How does it impact social work practice uh, with older adults? 
Yeah, it's a great question. You know, respectfully, there have been so many scholars and researchers who have identified and written wonderful articles about ageism in social work practice, ageism in, you know, social work schools, um, you know, comparing that to maybe death anxiety and things like that. Um, but I think that for me, I just, it's, I just think it's so, so important to ensure that students are recognizing that these biases might occur, talk about them, call people in for conversation, and also just change their mindset, you know, recognizing that older adults um, can participate in psychotherapy, for example, and older adults um, have really rich lived experiences that can be impacted in therapy, and that, you know, older adults um, benefit from social workers in their lives in various ways. Um, and I think that's really part of what I do at Rutgers, um, trying to educate social work students about the opportunities that exist, um, that it's not just all about death and dying. Right. It's about living. Yeah, good. That's great. So it is a huge problem. I see it, okay, uh, in our society. Uh, and I guess, you know, if I ask the question, how do we improve it? I think the answer, everybody's got to do their part in a sense, but that's not so easy. Any suggestions you have on, on how we can improve upon, you know, how people look at older adults and how they may treat older adults or react to older adults? Uh, it, it's a problem. There's no doubt about it. What, you have yeah. any, uh, any suggestions? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, AARP just put out a wonderful guide actually for the holidays that was encouraging people to have conversations about different generations. Um, and I think that's such a great idea to take advantage of times when you're with different generations, you know, from different family members, friends, et cetera, and having conversations and opening up those doors um, to reminisce together and identify different similarities and differences. Um, I'm always fascinated to hear about, for example, you know, motherhood, I'm a mom, and it's interesting to hear about my mom's experiences, my grandmother's experiences, and so forth um, with childcare and things like that. Um, I also think that, you know, as a faculty member, part of what my role is in the work that I'm doing is ensuring that discussions about ageism are not just in classes where we'd expect them to be, right? So part of the research that I'm co-leading with um, wonderful colleagues at Rutgers, Dr. Tracy Davis from the School of Health Professions, is focusing on how and if we can, and, and we should be, of course, in, in fusing more discussions about ageism and lessons about ageism in classes like in the journal, journalism school and the school of communications, the school of design, right? Because we know that media outlets also are a really big place for um, some changing to happen. It's a really great opportunity to maybe think about how we're, you know, even the pictures that we're featuring the characters that we're writing about, are we ensuring that it's respectful and not stereotypical and, and hurtful, quite honestly. Right, right, right. So are you seeing that, um, I mean, it's great that Rutgers has this program. Are you seeing more and more universities around the country uh, setting up similar programs like this? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, many, many schools and programs and universities are already taking, you know, great efforts on um, to look at age inclusivity. And there's also through the Gerontological Society of America, there's something called age friendly university, which is something that Rutgers actually we're, we're hoping to gain that designation. And um, there's principles involved that your school would um, sign on to. But it's another wonderful effort to ensure, you know, that education um, is included on ageism and that institutions that have, you know, big presence um, can help lead the work. Gotcha. What, what recommendation for those that, you know, on, on the call and they have uh, maybe businesses uh, they either own or uh, are, are key players at, uh, at various uh companies, what would you say to their leaders uh, on how they can do a part to help with this issue that we're faced with? Well, I think that it's important to think about policies that exist that could be ageist or that could not be recognizing older workers in the company. I also think that it's really important to look at, you know, caregiving and policies on caregiving. So many adults are sandwich caregivers, so they're taking care of young children and older family members or sicker family members. Um, some are just caregiving for other relatives, family, and friends. And I think that's also a really great way to think about inclusivity and also recognizing that many people over the age of 55, 60 are are providing care or support to someone else in their life. And so I think starting there is a really good idea. I know even for our staff here at Rutgers, I did a talk on caregiving and it was wonderful. It was great to just have a space to acknowledge this other part of ourselves beyond our work identity that exists and that intersects with right. our job. You mentioned a couple of times so far the term aging inclusivity. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about that. So our, our our listeners and myself, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, understand that terminology. Well, I think that for me, you know, as an educator and as a social worker, I like to ensure that the lessons that I prepare and the information that I share with students includes, um, for example, clients of all ages, um, different experiences that can occur across the lifespan. I think that it's just very important to realize and recognize that life doesn't stop at 65. Um, and for our younger um, students, they really need to know that. Um, certainly as social workers, especially working in healthcare or in the community. Um, I think also about something that I didn't mention, but I'll mention now, and we have a uh, wonderful uh, faculty at Rutgers School of Social Work leading this in our state of New Jersey, but there's also age-friendly efforts, um, which really translates to ensuring what, how spaces are preparing for all aged individuals to live, right? We talk about aging in place, aging in the right place, and what does that really mean? Um, and how are we responding to all the unique and diverse um, wishes that are coming up with, you know, cohorts to come. Right, right. So we're going to take a real quick break, I promise, just to recognize our sponsor. But when we come back, here's, I'm going to give you uh, 30 seconds to think about this answer. Okay, so 
one of the challenges, as you know, uh, I, I've been in the senior care industry for a while. One of the challenges is if someone should, an older adult should be moving maybe into some assisted living, maybe they're just not getting <clears throat> the care at home, there isn't anybody to take care of them, they're alone, and really they would probably thrive in that type of an environment, okay? I'm not talking nursing. I mean, nursing is a whole nother, as you know, you've worked there, it's, that's a whole nother thing. But um, uh, however, there's pushback many times from that older adult going, I don't wanna go there, it's all old people. Even though they might be that same age, they go, I'm surrounded by all old people, I don't wanna go. Think about that what we could do to, to help with that uh, transition or to those communities who are faced with that, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanna ask you, so do you know anybody who may be concerned about an older driver? Well, Senior Care Authorities Beyond Driving with Dignity program is a facilitated self-assessment program for older drivers. This program has been designed to serve as a vital tool to facilitate older drivers and their families as they make appropriate decisions regarding the future of one safe driving career. If the individual is a safe driver, an advisor will provide him or her with the strategies and how to remain a safe driver as they progress through the aging process. If driving retirement is the appropriate decision, then the individual and their family are offered possible alternatives, resources, and a specific plan to ensure a smooth and successful transition from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. So to learn more, you can go to www.beyond drivingwithdignity.com, or you could call 877-907-8841 to connect with a senior care authority advisor in your area. We're back with Lauren Snedeker, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and I'll, I'll say it, she's a kind of a specialist on, on aging and, uh, <laughs> uh, and ageism and what's going on in our, in our world. Um, uh, with with that subject matter. So I'm going to come back to you before we get to the question I was going to bring up. Uh, Lauren, maybe you could just share with our listeners if they want to learn more about what you're doing and what Rutgers is doing and the program. It's commercial time. Go ahead and share whatever you would like. <laughs> Thank you so much, Frank. Well, I would suggest just checking out Rutgers School of Social Work's website. Um, and you can find my email there, my faculty page, and the Certificate in Aging and Health if any of your listeners are interested in um, getting their license or getting their social work degree. Uh, they can check out our program. They can also check out you know, publications and things that I'm doing on that same site. Okay, great, great. Mm -hmm. So let's go back and maybe I'll you know, I'll ask it again in case somebody just joined in. Um, one of the challenges in the, I'll, I'll just call it the senior living industry, uh, is if it's time for someone to maybe move from their home environment to a senior living community, though it might be the best thing for them and their family, that sometimes there's pushback, all right, because they think this is it. Okay, that, that's, that's what's going through their head, right? And, um, and they go there to take a look and they go, a nice place, but uh, I'm surrounded by all older people. 
I, 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 I don't want to do that. I, I'm not, I don't want to go. What, what would you say to that? What, what recommendations would you have to those, let's say those in the assisted living or, or in, in that, and there's a lot of them around the country and they're growing and growing and growing every single day. Uh, what recommendations do you have to the family? What recommendations do you have to those communities that uh, are, are dealing with that issue? Yeah, it's a great question and something that comes up a lot for social workers, both that are working in those facilities or those that are helping the families and the individual adjust to that transition. I would say, you know, my first thought goes to the families um, and those involved in helping the person make that transition. And I think it's just incredibly important to recognize and give grace to the person and what they're feeling in that moment. Um, they are scared. They are about to embark on a major life change, a major turning point in where they are. Um, and they're seeing people, you know, potentially who are not the same as them in terms of needs. And so that gets tricky and that gets challenging. But I think that all too often, um, you know, well-intended families are, are, you know, kind of at the end of their rope and they're feeling a little less maybe empathetic at that moment. So I think empathy is, is everything in that moment. Um, I think that it's another, you know, thought about how ageism is so pervasive, right? Because even older people may feel, uh, you almost, know. It's almost like reverse ageism, right? I yeah, mean. like in a little <laughs> bit of a way, like, gosh, yeah. you know, and I know my grandmother said this too. Um, that she didn't want to, you know, go certain places or do certain things because there were older people there and she's in her 80s. Um, right. And, you know, so it's sort of like helping folks kind of, but in the, in the example you gave, um, it's sort of helping folks kind of come to acceptance for where they are, um, providing lots of support. I think assisted living facilities and other um, care settings can offer, you know, social work support, counseling, um, giving an opportunity and a safe space for the individual to reflect and not be happy with this decision. Um, I mean, I think it's also important as a social worker, I want to know how much of the decision was in their hands. You know, that can be really complicated as well. Um, and just sort of allowing for time to go by and recognizing that they may not ever really be happy to be somewhere um, that is not their own home, but how can we make this feel slightly like their home? Um, can we change the style of the room, the decor? Um, is it really loud or is it comfortable? Does it feel like an institution? Um, are the folks that are working there supported so that they can support the individual or the family member? And um, just what's sort of like the overall vibes of, of where this place is, right? Like if it's comfortable and are they getting to know the folks that are living there? Um, those are all things that I would encourage family members to think about, individuals to think about, and also for folks who um, are working in these settings to kind of be inspired by. Um, because if folks who are living in these spaces are happy, then everybody's happy in some way, right? right? I hope. <laughs> right, right. You know, I've seen communities that really involve local schools. Uh, right. I'm talking, you know, younger people that even from high schools uh, or, you know, that come visit. And mm -hmm. some of them have put together programs where uh, those younger people are visiting uh, and taking time with the residents there 
almost like a reverse mentorship, I'll call right. it. You, know, you hear about mentoring <laughs> programs of adults that work with uh, children that maybe are, uh, you know, parents, there's challenges, let's just put it that way, and they become, you know, mentors. I know it's real big in our area here where I am, but this is almost like a reverse mentorship where uh, you have a younger person really spending time with an older adult. Have you seen programs like that, and what do you think about it? Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, some of our social work students have, like, developed programs like that in settings that they've worked in. Um, I think intergenerational programs are amazing. They offer so much to the individuals. They create such secure bonds and, and just happiness amongst those who are involved in participating. And I think that we should continue to think strategically about how we can be planning for more of that in different spaces. Um, you know, interestingly enough, my son's daycare is right next to an assisted living facility and we trick or treat there. We did holidays there and it's just so beautiful. I mean, I think also for for families who might not have grandparents, you know, they could kind of create that experience for their kids and also show how everyone is valuable at all ages, right? Um, yeah. That's also something that I think comes from that experience. Yeah. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk about uh, that anything relative to your research that you haven't already discussed. Uh, you know, you're leading uh, the Rutgers uh uh, you know, you're, you're a leader on ageism and, and uh, you know, content uh, of your courses, uh, anything that you like to share uh, with us on, on, on the great things you're doing there. Sure. Yeah. So I'll just expand a little bit about the research that I'm leading along with colleague, um, Dr. Tracy Davis. So basically, um, Tracy and I came together when I first started at Rutgers a few years ago as a faculty member. And we both realized that we were not in the same school. Of course, Rutgers is very big, so there's lots of different schools and programs. So we're both at Rutgers University, but I'm in the School of Social Work and she is in the School of Health Professions. We realized very quickly that we were teaching content on ageism in all of our classes, um, but from different perspectives and in different schools and programs to students that were going in different fields. And we decided that we just had to do something together to continue um, our relationship and our professional work. And so we decided to apply and we received a grant internal to Rutgers that is basically looking at a few different things. So first and foremost, we want to support our faculty who are already doing this, but also giving resources to, to those who want to, to infuse um, information on ageism in their coursework, whether it be communications, stats, you know, sciences of all kinds, um, beyond mental health, beyond physical health, beyond pharmacy and things like that. Um, so we're developing, we have a survey out and we have really great responses and it's going really well. And we're also developing a toolkit so that any faculty member who wants to infuse some uh, content on ageism, but maybe it's just not their expertise or they're not sure what resources to, to look for, um, they'll have access to that toolkit. Um, we've also created a task force on aging at Rutgers, New Brunswick, which is um, including a bunch of different faculty from different schools and programs to continue talking and collaborating and thinking about how ageism is taught and um, how we can be anti-ageist as a school. And uh, 
yeah, we're just doing more and more and we hope to continue to do more um, on this topic and to help bring age inclusivity, um, you know, not only to all of the schools under Rutgers, um, but beyond it yeah. in the state yeah. and beyond. <laughs> Sky's the limit. <laughs> well, thank you for, you know, uh, unfortunately we're out of time. I could talk to you for, for many, uh, uh, much longer on this subject matter, but I really appreciate everything that you do uh, I think uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great, and uh, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. And hopefully, we'll uh, connect and come back and talk with us again on on, on so many other subject matters uh, facing uh, aging. All right. So uh, sure. Thank you so much for for joining us, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I want to thank everybody out there for joining us on on Boomers today, and. Uh, have a, 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 a wonderful uh, New Year's and uh, talk You've to been everybody listening real to soon. Boomers Today with Frank Sampson. To learn more about today's show, visit boomerstodayradio.com and join us next time for another edition of Boomers Today.